Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cosmic Conversations. I'm your host, Sheila Seppi, and I want to welcome you, whether you're watching us live on replay, if you're here in our audience and YouTube or any of the television networks or even listening to us on podcasting. Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Now, if you haven't already, please sign up at thegalacticalliance.org or you can sign up to be on our mailing list at theconsciousawakeningnetwork.org. Either way, you'll be able to catch all of our replays on the Conscious Awakening Network YouTube. So I am very excited to introduce my guest tonight, Sean Letter. Sean and I, <laughs> we've been trying to get together for over a year and finally we've made it happen. So I want to tell you a little bit about Sean though before I actually turn things over to him. Now through a, a series of spiritually transformative experiences, STEs, or near-death experiences, NDEs, and their powerful after effects, Sean woke up to his true spiritual nature and discovered his life purpose. That purpose did not resolve, revolve around any type of success or previous academics or even businesses. Rather, his soul's purpose centered around the mind, body, and spirit healing and of being in service to others. Sean is the founder and the leader of the Hawaiian IONS, which stands for the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and leads the near-death and the STE shared groups with many spiritual organizations. Now, he also runs several NDE and STE and even afterlife death Facebook groups with a combined membership of over 550,000 people. Sean, I don't know how you do that, but welcome. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you, Sheila. Um I just, I, I am so honored and I'm so glad that we're finally doing this. And I want to thank you for, for inviting me and for giving me the opportunity to have a near death and spiritual awakening channel on the conscious awakening network. Mm, and, uh, oh, I didn't set out for any of this, the small me. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm sure it has been an amazing journey. And so I'm going to pop off for just a minute. And I want you to go ahead and tell everyone, you know, tell us about your near-death experience. What happened to you? Okay. Yeah. I will. So what I'll do is I will give you all a little background of, of, of my life and because it all fits together. And honestly, it's only starting to fit together now in the last few years. But I have had all sorts of spiritually transformative experiences throughout my life and amazing experiences. But for whatever reasons, um, I didn't listen or I didn't listen long. And I am also one of those people that I can't really learn from others. I need to put my hand on the stove and uh, experience everything for myself. So I'm going to share, uh, starting with uh, when I was born, just a little bit so you can understand a little bit of me. And I'm gonna go rather quickly through a lot of experiences 
until we get to the the near death experience that forever changed me. And if there's anything that that I that I skim over that you think you would like to know more, please write down your questions. And at the end, I would love to answer any questions or elaborate on anything. So, ah, so I started Hawaiian Islands, my little sharing group in Hawaii as a means to, because I didn't understand, I was forever changed in 2019. And I didn't understand what I was going through. All I know is I needed to talk with other people. And so I'm gonna go back to Salt Lake City when I was born. And many of us have pre-life memories. I didn't understand my pre-life memories like I do now. I, I signed up for uh, a tough life, but an exciting life. I signed up like I wanted to experience as much as possible in this life. It, extremes, extreme wealth, extremes, poverty, life, death, everything in between. And I didn't, again, I'm just now understanding how all this fits together. But when I was in my mom's womb, I realized what I'd signed up for. And that was my earliest memories of I am not ready, which has been a mantra of mine for a long time. I am just now rewording that mantra that I am ready. And so what's funny is I didn't want to come out. My poor mom, she had to um, induce labor because somehow I knew what I was in for. So um, so they had to force me to come out and I was born with a lot of immune system issues. And that was what, within six months, I had my first near-death experience as a child. I didn't understand what that was. All I know is they all they all thought that I was going to die. What I do know from that ex those experiences is that I had this connection to the other side that I knew wasn't me, and it was stronger than anyone I knew from such an early age. I, you know, I just had this connection to the divine. I knew things, but I knew that it wasn't me. I knew that it was coming from somewhere else. So uh, I was born into a really dysfunctional family. My mother herself had had a near-death experience around 1975, which is around the same year that Raymond Moody came up with the term. They didn't know what it was. She didn't know what it was, other than the fact that she knew that she had to come back. She spent most of her life in mental institutions. They didn't understand near-death experiences. She was one of those, many of you who have heard near-death experiencers, there's a lot of people that don't wanna come back. My mom was one of those. So I would grow up with her calling for her father to take her home. And she, again, I said these mental health issues, which would cause her to check out. And I had a dad who was an alcoholic father. So there was a lot of discontentment and um, trauma growing up. 
But I was getting these messages from the other side and they were telling me things that were about to happen. I would get these premonitions and unfortunately, nobody believed me. I predicted all kinds of events that ended up costing my father a lot of money. And every time he would say, oh, I should have listened, but then he didn't. So what that caused in me when I was seeing all these things and, and I was a high, very highly sensitive, which also back then, that was a bad thing too. Like you were told, oh, you're too sensitive. And so what happened is I stopped trusting myself. It was like, I knew something. I had an absolute no, but the people that I loved the most would say, no, you're wrong. So what I thought was pink, they'd say is gray. What I thought was blue, they would say is red. And it, it started causing all of this confusion. So again, like I said, at an early age, I had this connection. And I grew up in Salt Lake City, like I think I mentioned. And we had gone down to Temple Square. So I was, I was born Mormon. But we were what they call Jack Mormons. And, and for those of you who don't know what that means, that means Mormons that don't necessarily follow the word of wisdom and all those rules. And so anyway, we'd gone to Temple Square. And there's a circular room at the top of the temple. And I asked my mom, what is that room? And she said, that is the Holy of Holies. That's where the prophet gets direct communication with God. And I was really confused because I didn't understand why do we need a prophet? Now, remember, I'm like five or six. So I, I, you know, I, I didn't know a whole lot other than my experiences. And uh, I didn't understand why we need an intermediary. And that, that was the beginning of my uh, spiritual cognitive dissonance with organized religion and so forth. So as I was getting older, I, I, I was aware of, like I said, I, I sensed other people's feelings. I could tell when people were not being honest, but again, because of my upbringing, and I didn't even know what the word gaslighting is. It wasn't until after my NDE, you know, 50 years later, that I, that I learned, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've been gaslit my whole life. But anyway, I was so um, gaslit and not trusting that that connection, it started to go away. It was always there, but I stopped listening to it as much. So um, as I started getting older and I started, I experienced with my family, uh, you know, I, I try not to really talk a whole lot about evil and stuff like that. But what I found is with this, this mental health issue and this addiction and everything that was going on in my family, I actually saw possession in both my mother and my father. And at the time, I, I, of course, didn't know. And many people here probably, many of us trauma survivors, we make jokes about things as a way to 
uh, deal with this. So, you know, I would make jokes about my mom, like, oh, there, there goes mom. She's about to spit pea green soup again, if you guys remember the exorcist. And so this darkness and this heavy um, energy surrounded most of my upbringing. At some point, I started, thankfully, uh, discovering some great books, like the first one was The Seed of the Soul with Gary Zukoff, and um, uh, The Communion, you know, with Whitley Strieber. Like, so I, I, I was able to, uh, to, to have access to information that kept that spark alive, in spite of all of this trauma that I was going through. So I decided to move to, uh, oh, I need to back up. So my mother, in spite of her mental illness, there was this amazing connection that we had. And she did have many lucid times. And what was really cool is she was not your more uh, typical Mormon mother. Like I said, she, um, she was a master astrologer. She could do everybody's charts. And she took me to learn iridology and all kinds of amazing things. And I think somehow she knew how that was going to play into my life later. Well, the most amazing thing she did, she did everybody's charts, like I said. You couldn't date anybody. You couldn't have friends without her doing the chart. She did it all by hand. So when she did my chart, I was around eight or nine. And she predicted that at 50, I was going to die. But she raised me to understand it didn't mean absolute death. This is something that could happen, something similar. It could just be a major transformation. And so the amazing thing is, which I'll get to it later, but at 50, I was in the ICU having the most profound near-death experience of my life. So she taught me a whole lot of really amazing stuff. And and, I, and ironically, she got several letters from the Mormon church to stop or she would be excommunicated. But anyway, we had this connection in spite of her mental illness. She tried to kill me many times. And I, I don't want to go into all the trauma, but it's important so that you'll understand what happened later. So I, I left California, or I mean, I left Utah, and I moved to California, and I went to pursue acting and modeling and something happened that led me to Santa Barbara. And that's when I had my first adult awakening moments. I had met this, this Oxford-educated Brahmin uh, lady. She was a professor. Her and her husband ran the Theosophy Institute of Santa Barbara, if you guys know what Theosophy is. And... She uh, she opened my whole world beyond my wildest uh, dreams. She she you know she taught me about all these different religions. Took me to the Vedanta temple, introduced me to Yogananda, and it was at that time that I that I started getting into a course in miracles. And I have my first awakening experience that. I was at a Trader Joe's and I got out of the car and I spit my gum out on the asphalt. And all of a sudden I heard this voice say, pick it up. 
And this is the first time I had heard this voice since I was a kid. And it said, pick up the gum. And I ignored it. And I start walking towards the door at Trader Joe's and the voice got louder and it said, pick it up. And again, I ignored it thinking, okay, I'm just hearing things. As I got to the door, the voice was so loud and it said, pick it up. It was stern, but gentle, but very stern. So I went back to the car, picked up the gum, threw it in the trash. And the voice said, how can you, uh, how can you do the big things I'm going to ask of you if you can't do the little things? So that was my first time hearing the voice. And for a little while, I felt kind of special because I felt like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm, I'm experiencing something that I don't think a lot of people are. So, but for whatever reason, because of everything that I had grown up with, all of the trauma and so forth, I went back to ignoring that voice. I used some of it and A Course in Miracles and so forth to then go to college and I got four business degrees and graduated with honors and just, I could manifest anything that I wanted. And I then had this successful um, landscape company and started investing in real estate. And by 35, I had everything that the world says you want. And I'll, I'll never forget, in 2003, I was in Big Bear Lake, California. And I had this beautiful mountain home because I grew up in Salt Lake City, so I love Christmas and I love snow at Christmas. Well, most places in California don't have snow. So Big Bear Lake, I had this beautiful mountain home that represented my childhood in Utah to me. And I just put in all new Viking appliances and I had a new Hummer that, that these are the big Hummers, not the smaller ones. And, and I went and I went for a drive around the lake and I just put in satellite radio and I put in share that uh, believe song and which was one of my favorite songs at the time. And I listened to that song and I have everything I want. Everything this world says we're supposed to achieve to be happy and it snowed on Christmas and I wasn't happy. I realized none of it meant anything to me. And what I didn't realize then is that, that I was really putting everything in motion to have the most wild next 20 years of my life. So had that experience. Then a month later, I'm heading to Hawaii and I found some property here and it was going to be an investment. It was just going to come once in a while. I had no intention to live here. Went back to the mainland and uh, some, some issues happened with this, real, this property. So I had to fly back. So as I went and got on the plane to come back, and this was in, uh, so January was when I found the property. So February, March, I was flying back. The minute the plane took off, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So if you remember, I said I did modeling and acting. I had, on top of all the uh, financial and material success, 
I'd also worked my butt off to have the perfect body and was doing Gold's Gym ads and, and doing my acting and my modeling and, you know, how everyone, you have to have that six pack. Well, I gave myself an extra pack and that was an abdominal hernia, which I didn't realize how dangerous they can be. I mean, I was completely ignorant, so <laughs> it's true. So we get on the plane, the plane takes off, at the minute the plane is taking off, the hernia strangulates. And so for those of you who don't know, an abdominal hernia, it's like your intestines and they kink and nothing goes through you. Blood, everything, everything stops. So we're flying from Los Angeles to Honolulu and I was just, I was literally dying. And get off the plane, stayed in Honolulu a day or so and then went to the big island. And because I'd had health issues my whole life, when I was living in Santa Barbara, I had met Patricia Braggs and got into all kinds of healthy stuff and I stopped doing Western medicine. So I didn't do antibiotics or, or anything, nor Western doctors because I grew up with health issues. So I went to a uh, holistic doctor who probably should have seen because my chest was turning black and blue, that I was dying inside, but she didn't. So she gave me some uh, fluids and, and so forth. Well, my partner you know, made me promise, but I didn't feel better the next day I was going to the emergency. Most people die within 24, 48 hours. I, I went about four days. I went to the ER, they knew right away what was happening. They, so as they're willing me in the operating room, the doctor saying, I don't know what, I don't know what we're going to find. I don't know what I can do, but I'll do my best. So as we're heading into the OR, everything started to go dark. And that, and all of a sudden I realized I'm dying. So you, you might've heard of distressing NDEs or NDEs are that are the void. And that's kind of what happened to me because this was, this was, I call it kind of like an NDE light. It was a primer in a way for things that were going to happen. And all I know is as I was dying and leaving my body, this black, and I could see uh, the tunnel and the light up here. All I knew is I was staying away from that tunnel I am not gonna die. I can't die. There's, I, I have this knowing that I hadn't completed what I came here to do, even though I had like all this material success. So somehow I knew and I'm like, uh-uh. And so I started bargaining and I didn't know a whole lot about all this stuff. And all I know is I kept saying, uh-uh, I'm not dying. If, if I die, I won't accept it. And so I'm going to be a ghost here in Hilo, Hawaii, which I don't know if you guys, Hilo is very out back, very old, very jungle. And I just kept thinking I will be a ghost and no one's ever going to find me. So I could not resist the light. I had to go to the light. And the next thing I knew, I was in the recovery. And I had experienced, like I said, I call it like an NDE light. 
I was, I was just all this love and forgiveness. And, and it was so weird. It was like, it was, but again, it was this NDE light that really kind of set the ball in motion for what was going to happen. So anyway, they, they, um, because they had had to cut out all of this, these infected intestines, they had to leave my stomach open. And they said, you can't leave for six months. And I don't know if I said before, but I had no intention of moving to Hawaii. I wanted a vacation house in Hawaii, but I was perfectly happy with my superficial illusory life in Los Angeles. And uh, so when they said that, I'm like, okay, well, if I have to stay in Hawaii, I want to recover by a waterfall. And, and, and you know, I was always a really good manifester. I think we all are. We just sometimes don't know what we're manifesting. And um, so I've learned to be a little more careful. Um, so anyway, I said, okay, well, if I have to stay here, I want to recover by a waterfall. Next day, Homes and Land Magazine, eight acres, beautiful botanical gardens, three houses, private waterfalls. It was for rent and also to buy. So I went and I moved into the into the, the main house and I negotiated over the next uh, month to buy the house um, from the lady. My partner went back to California, started selling everything. I never went back to my houses in California. I just stayed. That was the beginning of an amazing adventure full of pain. Yeah, it, very cool, wonderful experiences, but the most gut-wrenching pain. So I got to experience the beauty of Hawaii and, and my family came and I, and, and I moved everything there, but I was in the shower one day and that voice, remember the voice of Trader Joe's? It said, get ready, you're going to lose everything. And I didn't understand what it meant as far as that I was going to lose everything, but I knew what it meant when it get, said, get ready. And it meant your spiritual tools, but I didn't listen. I remembered the part about you're going to lose everything, which then like put me in this PTSD, but I wasn't working on those tools and getting ready of what was going to happen, but I knew it was going to be huge. So right uh, shortly after that, I, so now remember, I was trying to do acting and modeling in LA. Uh, well, I get a call that some people want to rent my house and they want to film a movie there. And it turns out that it's Steven Spielberg. So Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, George Lucas, Harrison Ford, all these people come to rent my property and film Indiana Jones of the King Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So on one hand, I'm having this like amazing experience. But then on the other hand, I also know I'm going to lose everything. It's all going to go away. So that they rented my house for a, a couple of months. While that happens, my nephew, who had been 
I was like his father and, and he was like, uh, I taught him how to do everything to, to water ski, snow ski, ride a bike, rollerblade, drive a car. Um, we had the most amazing connection and he had cystic fibrosis. And so he, and he passed away. So I was having this amazing time and then he passed away. And then if you guys ever remember the financial collapse of 2008, that came, my own father sued me. Everything that could happen did. And I was like, I was amazing at manifesting stuff before. I, I was making 30, 40,000 a month easily. I don't know how, but I was. Now, nothing. I couldn't manifest anything. This was the first time I experienced, but I later learned this, the dark night of the soul. I had no idea. All I knew is nothing was working. So I lost everything. I'd had millions of dollars. I had 13 houses. I thought I was set for the rest of my life at 35, you know, and slowly it started crumbling. My personal relationships were crumbling. Everything I cared about in this world went away. So, but I was having these spiritual experiences. And in Hawaii, we have what's called uh, Amakua. And an Amakua is like a personal god um, or a family, an ancestor. And so for me, my Amakua was this pueo, which is an owl. And I had started experiencing this owl before. And it was the most haunting feeling because he was also letting me know, get ready, major change is happening. So by 2011, 2012, I, that's when I learned about the shift, if you guys remember what was gonna occur. Well, I had walked off my property. I had said goodbye to all of it. Every dime, I left my house with a trash bag. I didn't have my ID. I had nothing. And somehow I was guided to this healer lady that I ended up moving in with. And, and she taught me all kinds of amazing things. And in this, while I was with her, I'd always done astral projection. Oh, my mom, she taught me when I was 12. We went and learned how to astral project. There's this guy with Sheila, you might remember, his name was Wally Minto. I, I, I don't know if he was in Colorado. Do you, do you know? Yeah. So he would, he was teaching how to do astral. First, it was like alpha awareness and then astral projection. So she had taught me how to do that. But somehow in around 2012, I was guided to do more of it. And, and this healer lady that I was living with, she opened my whole world to all of these different healing modalities and everything. So I decided to leave the big, and this was on the big island, and move to Oahu. And I was gonna reinvent myself. I knew, you know, I made all this money easy, I can do it again. 
So I, I come over here to Oahu with a suitcase. Me, and remember, I had 13 houses. Many of them were furnished. I had everything. I came over here with one suitcase and I never saw any of that stuff again. So I come over here and it's like, okay, I'm gonna reinvent myself. I made all this money, I can do it again. Well, guess what? I couldn't even pay my rent. It was like, what's going on here? I, it was so easy before, and now I can't even pay my rent. And so I did, and I didn't understand why. And it was, it was, it was a really, ugh, it was the toughest time to go from where I had been to now. I didn't even know how I was going to survive. All I knew is I didn't have a choice. Well, um, 2015 came and my mom passed away. And the weirdest thing was, is I was struggling financially. I couldn't pay my rent. I didn't, I certainly couldn't afford an airline ticket back to Utah. I also had all these conflicting feelings about not wanting to go. So my mom, I hear her in my voice saying, you don't need to go. That's not where I'd be. And my mom was a florist. We had so many things in common. She was a florist. She taught me all about plants. And then, of course, that led me to be a landscaper. So she showed me this beautiful garden. And she says, go here. This is where I'll be. And that's where I would like to spend time with you. Well, I had no idea where that garden was. All I saw is I saw these giants what looked like pine trees, which was kind of weird because we're in Hawaii, we don't have pine trees, but, or at least the kind that it was, that it looked like. And she showed me her sitting on this log. So anyway, I said, okay, I, I did not find that place for a while, but she started coming to me more and more. Now, this, this was my first, since I was a kid with having these, these, um, after-death communication experiences. Uh, this is the first time. And what's so amazing is I doubted it a little bit that very first time, but you, you know your own mo mother. And so she started showing me a few things and I asked her, why, why are you here? She said, I'm here to be the mother that I couldn't be when you were alive or when I was, when she was alive. And so I asked her more about that. And so she showed me her life and how she was raised because her family was immigrants from Holland and they were old school and her, her mother was older and they'd already raised their kids and they were resent she was resentful of having a child. So there was a lot of abuse and trauma that she had growing up. So she showed me that and she showed me also, she just couldn't handle life. So she would check out and she would check out with prescription drugs. She then confirmed to me that those times that I thought she was possessed, I was right. And she showed me how that happened, that she would just check out and these other entities would come in and take over. So 
we continue. So she showed me her life and we continued to have these experiences and she was get stronger and stronger, but I would still have a little bit of a doubt. So one day I was typing, typing an email to my sister and, and it was about, because they all knew my beliefs about my mom being possessed. So I was typing in the email to my sister about my mother and, and I told her, you know, that she, you know, what she had shown me. Well, as I'm typing, all of a sudden my mother grabbed my arm. Like, you know, when somebody's grabbing your arm, this is physical. She grabbed my arm and I wrote this letter to my sister, which she still has, I still have. It was so wild because as I'm typing, she is speaking to me and my sister and sharing all these messages. So I won't go into the letter or anything, but after that, about an hour or so later, I went to make an espresso and I went and I looked down and on my left arm, the one that she had grabbed, the hair was standing straight up. And on the right arm, it was laying flat. So me, I'm very analytical. I, I need lots of proof. And that was the first proof that I really knew for sure, this is her. So as we go on and I'm having more experiences with her, then I start having experiences with other, other people who have crossed that start coming to me. There was a fire in a building about a mile away from me. And, and I was laying there two nights after this fire or a night after this fire, I think. And I was laying in bed and uh, I wasn't asleep. I was just laying there and I wasn't meditating. But this mother uh, who was shorter, she would look like she was in a wheelchair and her son wearing this Aloha shirt came to me and they were very confused. And, and this was my first experience with anybody other than my mother since I was a kid. And I didn't know what to tell them, but it, dawned on me that they had died in this fire. And now, of course, I know, you know, tell them to go to the light or whatever. But trust me, I, I didn't know a, a whole lot of this stuff. And the fact that I was experiencing it was unbelievable to me. So, you know, I said, I can't help you, but I know there's somebody here that can. And the next day in the newspaper, they had identified the bodies and Sure enough, it was a lady and her son, and he worked for Aloha Airlines, and uh, they had died in the fire because she was uh, disabled and he couldn't get her out. So I started getting more and more of these experiences. Then my sister came, the one that I was writing the email to, and we were uh, visiting various areas here, and we wanted to go sightseeing and see some stuff that we hadn't done before. Something guided me to this mountain here, this park. So we were going around and, and as we were doing some sightseeing, I started getting like this vertigo and dizzy. And I, I really couldn't understand it. And we were, as we were headed up this mountain, which is only like 3,400 feet, I was getting dizzier and dizzier. And I kept telling my sister, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm used to high elevation from Utah and Big Bear. And so we get to this park, we get out, and I was so dizzy, I did a face plant. 
And we went and hung out on this chair and I kind of gathered everything or this picnic table. I gathered myself together and we start walking through this park, which has these giant pine trees. And here they call them Cook Island pines. And so they, they kind of look like pine trees in Utah, and but they're tropical. So as we're walking on this pathway, all of a sudden, my sister's ahead of me and she's on the right-hand side. And on the left-hand side, there's my mother sitting on the log that she had told me almost a year ago when she said, go here, this is where I'll be. So I, uh, I, I broke down in tears and I said to my sister, I said, she's here. And she of course couldn't see her, but I got to experience seeing her in physical form. It wasn't solid, but she was there. And it was the place she had shown me a year before. So, Again, as I'm going on, I had had, I was having these experiences and I kept asking her, why are you here? And she just kept saying to be the mother that I couldn't be when I was alive. So that now we get to the fall of 2017 and I started getting sick. And if you remember, I've always had these bronchitis and pneumonia issues growing up asthma, sleep apnea, and I started getting pneumonia in 2017 in the fall. And so I went and I got my Chinese herbs and I just started loading up on everything that had always worked before, but it wasn't working. And I started getting sicker and sicker. And by November, so uh, growing up with all the trauma and the abuse that I had, I, I was addicted to lots of things. And if you guys know what Copenhagen snuff is, it's nicotine. It is something I never thought that I would do. But when I was 16, I tried it once and it's like, I was hooked. I could not stop doing Copenhagen snuff. And what I realize now is that, you know, it was like a, a mood stabilizer and anesthetized a lot of what I was going through. But no matter what I could do, I could not stop chewing tobacco. I tried dirt. I tried tea leaves. I tried everything. Nicorette gum. Nothing worked. And I had also off and off, off and on, drank alcohol as another way to anesthetize myself and not feel these feelings. Well, that voice came back and it said, stop hurting yourself. I, in that moment, stopped cold turkey. Um, I've been doing Copenhagen since I was 16, could not stop. I'm now 49, cold turkey stopped. I mean, literally before, if I go, you know, a couple hours without a chew, I would be ready to kill somebody. So I stopped cold turkey. I stopped alcohol cold turkey, doing everything I could, but I was still dying. And the weird thing was, is the voice told me that, stop hurting yourself. My mom's around, but neither of them are telling me you're dying. 
that was that was the thing that was so weird because I, 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 you know, I looked back on it for quite a while and it's like, why were they not telling me what was happening? So anyway, I, by the time January 1st comes, I am so sick, I can't walk. My oxygen has gone down to 40%. Most people in the hospital, the alarms go up below 82%. I went for over a month with very low oxygen, could barely walk. Um, called uh, here in Waikiki, they had like a, a, hospital, a doctor service for, for people that are visiting. So they came and picked me up. They took me to this doctor's office. They immediately knew that, that I was going downhill and there was nothing they could do. So they sent me, uh, they called an ambulance, which then took me to, uh, to the hospital. And again, they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. I was in the emergency room for quite a while. And then they moved me to another room before they were gonna, I guess they were waiting for an ICU bed or something to open up. Well, that was the first time when all of a sudden the, the nurse that was in my room trying to clean me up, because I, I was a mess. I'd been like dying for two months and, and hadn't gone to the hospital. So she's trying to clean me up. And all of a sudden she, she turns into this um, Spanish um, like nun and outside the windows, all of a sudden I'm seeing this Spanish uh, countryside. Well, at the time I didn't know it was Spain, but I, it was this countryside that I knew was not in this country. And, and uh, it was like, I also realized I'm not in this time anymore. And so this woman says to me, she thanked me for giving her the opportunity to fulfill her purpose of helping people as they cross over. And I thought to myself, this is really crazy. Number one, I'm not dying. And even though I knew I was, I was like, no, I'm not dying. And number two, she's the one cleaning me up in the bed. I'm a mess. And she's thanking me for the opportunity, for giving her the opportunity to help people as they cross over. Well, I had no idea who this woman was. I just knew she was a Carmelite nun. And it seemed like we were in Spain. I could feel we were in this um, basilica or cathedral kind of place. Well, I'll tell you now, I did not know who that was, but after uh, maybe about six months after everything had happened and I started doing some spiritual book studies and I wanted to understand the Bible more and everything, I had, somebody, was, somebody mentioned this. They said, St. Teresa of Avila. And the minute I heard that, I'm like, oh my God, somehow I knew that was her. So I went and I Googled her. Sure enough, this is the woman. As I looked further into her, and I went and saw this basilica. The basilica looks over this countryside that I had seen in my NDE. So 
There's a lot more to her, which I'll share at another time. But she was the first person I experienced. And what's cool, you know, a lot of people say in NDEs, you experience what you ex expect. Well, I'm not Catholic. I don't know anything about Catholic saints. And I was born Mormon. I uh, didn't see Jesus. I saw St. Teresa of View. So anyway, that was amazing. I get then put into the ICU. Before I know it, the, they're like, we don't know what we can do to save. I have never seen the look of horror on a doctor's face. But the head of the lung clinic at this hospital was mirroring back to me, I, probably my fear and horror. And he's like, there's nothing we can do. You're completely shutting down. We can try a tracheotomy or, um, or uh, you know, or, or put you on the ventilator, but there's nothing we can do. You're dying. And they, they were running all these tests. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so I said, well, um, I don't want to do any of that until my sister comes. So, so my sister in Salt Lake City, she, uh, she was, luckily she got on a plane and she came and they intubated me. And by then I was, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I couldn't breathe. And so I went to sign all those papers that they will not resuscitate you. And I was in the ICU for over a month. So I'm condensing a lot of this for you. What many, many near-death experiences, they have like one moment. What happened to me, I was in and out of my body constantly. I would, I would, I would uh, be with God and my mom and then back in my body and back and forth for a month. And I had no idea if I could stay or not. I kept asking, please don't let me go. I have so much more to do. And I knew that I hadn't accomplished what I set here to do. So and outside my body, I'm sitting there with God and my mom. And what was really cool is God wasn't a man. It wasn't a woman, it was an energy. It was this light. It was the this love that I experienced, I'd never experienced in my whole life. This was the first time in my entire life that I actually felt loved. And I was one with God and my mom, but I was also separate. So as I'm with them and I look down at my body, um, I see this, this like, I hate to use the word wretched, but this wretched, curled up person that has believed the worst about himself his whole life. And this was the first time in my entire life that I actually had compassion for myself. And you know how when you have a dog and the dog, it hurts itself, and so you have to put the collar on it because otherwise it'll keep licking itself and it doesn't even know it's hurting itself. It was like that, or like a little kid in a walker 
you know, the little walker and they bump into the wall and they do all these things to hurt themselves and they don't even know. And that's what I, I was looking at myself and I was thinking, you poor thing. What have you been thinking to hurt yourself so badly? And as I say, this was the first time I ever had compassion for myself. I saw then that nothing I believed about myself and the world was true. Everything that I believed was not true. So as I got to experience this love, I would still go in and out of my body. I would have these moments where I'm in the body, but my mom's there and my nephew's there, the one that had died of cystic fibrosis. And, and my sister, they were, you know, I had two sisters that were there. They'd come to say goodbye. They went, they cleaned out my apartment. They threw everything away. Nobody was expecting me to leave the ICU. Uh, so they had thrown everything away and we had signed all the documents that they're not gonna uh, keep me on life support forever. And so at that point, the decision is, can he breathe on his own? And um, before I get to that, I'll say, that's, if you remember, I talked about the astral projecting earlier. It was amazing because as they were, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So there was this one time when they were, uh, they had to uh, drill bone marrow to see if like I, you know, what I might have. And so when they did that, and it's, apparently it's really painful, but I would just check out. So I would get, I would leave my body and I would go float over the ocean in Waikiki. And, um, and then also in the ICU, my sisters, they really couldn't handle this. If you could imagine seeing your brother dying and, and being helpless. So my one sister, she would leave and she would go to the coffee carts and talk to her husband and her kids. So I would leave my body and go follow her over there and hang out with her. And then the other sister would go to the cafeteria and she'd have egg salad and deal with her stuff. And I would follow her. So I did this for about a month until they realized we, he, we need to take him off the, the ventilator. Because the longer he's on, the less chances of getting him off. So it comes time to take me off the ventilator as they're getting ready to pull it out. My nephew appears at the end of the bed. And if you guys have seen that, uh, that cartoon, Foghorn Leghorn, he puffs up his chest like that rooster and he's showing me how to breathe. So he puffs up his chest, showing me to puff up my chest. And as the tube is coming out, again, he's showing me puff up your chest to to, to inhale. And so as that tube's coming out, he actually uh, breathes into me and all of a sudden I could breathe. I wasn't able to keep saturation levels. So they had to put, uh, I had to wear the mask for another period of month, another month, but I could breathe. So at some point I was able to get out of that hospital or out of the ICU but before I left the ICU and right before this experience, there was a song playing 
um, faintly in the background. And the song is called Tell Your Heart to Beat Again by Danny, Go uh, Danny Goki. And the song, I won't read it all to you, but it basically said you've been shattered like you've never been before. The life you knew was a thousand pieces on the floor. And word falls short in times like these, when the world drives you to your knees, you think you're never, never going to get back to the you that used to be. Tell your heart to beat again. Close your eyes and breathe it in. Let the shadows fall away. So I started hearing this song over and over. I then went, was in the regular hospital for another two months. I had to learn, relearn how to, to uh, of course, breathe, but to eat, to stand up, to walk. And they weren't sure if I was going to go to a care, care home or a, uh, a rehab hospital. So I fought as much as I could to get to go to this rehab hospital. And I'll share with you, I had literally encounters with angels throughout this whole process. And so many, I couldn't tell, are they in a body or are they not in a body? But I had these people who were helping me to walk. And this was the first time I could walk on my walker. And we were walking through the, the hallway. And as we're walking, all of a sudden, I left my body. And I was behind my body, watching my body walk. And I just, I will never forget, because who's, who's running that body? I'm not in it. I'm outside of it. And I'm watching it walk on this walker. And I have to say, it was the most amazing thing. So I ended up having lots more experiences like that, but I'm going to rush through them because of time. So I ended up going to a rehab hospital, uh, having more of these experiences. On the way from the hospital to the rehab hospital, I'm in an ambulance transport thing. Sure enough, on the radio, here's this song again by Daniel Goki. Yesterday is a closing door. You don't live there anymore. Tell your heart to beat again. And I texted my sisters. I'm like, here's that song that keeps following me. So went to the rehab, got, went through rehab. Again, many more experiences. And then after rehab, I got to come home for the first time. And I'd been three months. So I got to spend the, uh, the weekend in my apartment after three months. That Monday morning, I had to go back to the hospital for more tests and, and to try to do outpatient therapy. So, so I'm headed down to the lobby, the medical transport's out there, radio is on, and guess what song is playing in this car? Yesterday's a closing door, you don't live there anymore, tell your heart to beat again. So I went through the series of rehab and I had people uh, that would come here to my house and do everything. And that's when I started to realize everything in the past was gone. I had been completely reborn. We call it a near-death experience, but what I experienced was a rebirth. So much of that false self was left in the ICU. There are pieces of it that are still here that I'm still working on healing, 
but so much of the false self was left there. I, as you, I mentioned, I'd been very successful with all this stuff before. And it's like, now what? I've lost, I've lost everything financially, everything that mattered to me in this world is pretty much gone. And now my health's gone too. And I could barely even string together sentences because I've gone so long without oxygen. So one of these days I was getting ready to go to a rehab and then I was going to a support group for other people that had had terminal illnesses that wrecked their lives. And this prayer came to me, which many of you know, of course, in miracles. And I've, I've done a course in miracles most of my life, but it wasn't until this experience that I had a knowing of those principles. So there's this prayer from the Course in Miracles that came to me, and it's the truly helpful prayer, which I think many of you probably know. So the prayer says, I'm here only to be truly helpful. I'm here to represent him who has sent me. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do because he who has sent me directs me. I am content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. Uh, I tried to integrate what was going on with me through spiritual book studies, of course, in miracles, and way of mastery, and, and uh, Paul Selig, um, which I didn't know who he was at the time, and it was so cool because... I started calling my guides my gang. And what was cool is when I met Paul Selig, his gang was saying what my guides were saying. And it just, it was amazing. So, however, I, re I started to realize my life is never, ever going to be the same. I will never go back to any of that old life. But now what? And I didn't really understand what near-death experiences are. All I knew is I am forever changed. I'm not like I used to be. So something guided me to, to Google the after effects of near-death experiences. And I found this study written by a woman who has now become a great friend of mine, and her name is PMH Outwater. And so she had all of these after effects of near-death experiences. And as I was going through the box, every single one of them I checked. And it just blew me away. So that's when I realized I need to talk to other people experiencing what I'm experiencing. So I started my first little near-death experiencers group here at a Unity Church. And there was just a few of us. And that little group of just wanting to heal with each other and share our experiences and support each other has now grown into Hawaiian Islands, and we have members all over the world. And, and like Sheila had mentioned, uh, these Facebook groups that are going insane. And by just following the breadcrumbs and, and listening, uh, I have finally found my true purpose. So I will tell you, about a year ago, remember that song, Share, that was my favorite song, Believe by Cher? in 2003, well, 2022, I listened to that song again, 
I'm in my little studio apartment. I have nothing. I'm on disability. All kind. And you know what? When I listen to that song, I'm happy. I can sleep at night. I feel content that if I die tomorrow, that I've done what I'm here to do. And so with that, why don't, what would you like to do next? I realized I probably went a little over, didn't I? Yeah. That's okay. Um, I have to say, wow, wow. And wow, Sean, um, that's, you know, that's quite a story. And so, um, you know, it was well worth the year waiting to hear it all. So I really appreciate it because there are so many, you know, tidbits of information in there that I think that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. And so I actually want to, I'm going to go ahead and take everyone off mute so that um, they can go ahead and if they want to raise their hands, they can do so. And we can bring them up so that they can ask some questions. Um, or if they have something real briefly that they want to share. So I want to make sure that we give everyone an opportunity uh, to do so. So if you are out there and you have something to share, just go ahead and raise your hand. And we will bring you up. Hey, Miss Cindy. Hey, honey. Go ahead and unmute. Can you unmute? Yeah, I'm asking you to unmute. Did I do it yet? You there you me? go. Hi. Hi. Okay, so, John, your presentation was out of this world. Amazing. Oh, my Thank gosh. You. I could relate to so many things. The song, the chorus, I had, I could really relate to that song. And the, but yeah, I had a similar experience. I was at a gathering and they, I was out of gas and I was, I was out of gas and I was at a conference in, um, at a place that was four hours away from my home and I had to leave early and I forgot to check the gas meter and I had to, I missed the entrance on the highway. I had no idea where I was. And I kept praying to every single angel, ascended master. And when I finally got by sheer miracle, because I know I had to be out of gas a long time ago, <laughs> the overhead music was, I tell you, those angels have a sense of humor. They really do. Just yes. like your song. You'll get a kick out of this. The overhead chorus music was saying, save me, save me over and over <laughs> I could relate to your song when I heard that. And I too have heard, you know, I had an out of, you know, um, near death experiences and out of body experiences. And I had, and I came to the conclusion, listening to your experience really just, reminded me that life is really not about life it's life is really you know like the tv show it's like um the, it's like the commercial and and what it, what was i gonna say um it's not what we think it is you know it's like it's not what we think it is it's it, right. it's like, you know it's really like 
You know, like we watch the TV show and you're just so they can make us watch the commercials. Same right. thing with life. <laughs> totally. And you know what you said about the the, uh, the humor is so true. Because yeah, so many people think like, you know, they act all reverend up there. Oh, and they're funny. My, my mother cusses. The first time I heard her cuss, I'm like, did I hear that right? <laughs> I know they're funny. <laughs> they're really funny. Yeah, so much. Thank humor. you. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> I just want to tell you, you really inspired me and reminded me to go back to my, you know, my spiritual side and not take everything so damn seriously. When th the chips are down, sometimes the chips are really up when you think the chips are down. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Okay. Hey, Stone. Hello, everybody. Hi there, Hi. Sean. Good to see you, buddy. Hi. Nice um, to see you. I've got two quick things for you. First of all, a little message. Uh, hold on to the iron rod, brother. And the other one is, uh, have they ever called your name? And, I mean, for me, I feel when they're laughing at me and when I, I can hear them saying, it's almost like there's another, I don't know, I don't want to call it an angel, but there's another entity there that's always saying, going to bat for me. You know, it's like, don't give up, never give up. There's always something more just, just there for you. So just keep doing it. And I just wanted to ask you how you're doing now. Thank you. Well, I'm I, I'm doing much better than then, but and, and I don't really talk. I don't talk a whole lot about. But for two years, every step of the way, it's just I was just grateful for that day because the doctors they 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 didn't know they don't know you know like if your lungs could. Because they, they completely collapsed. My doctor said he hadn't seen lungs like mine since the 80s at upstate New York in medical school. Like that they would all study is how bad. So it's been a miracle, but there's still lots of, of health issues and, and so forth. But I realize now, honestly, it, 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 it keeps me grounded. It really does. It keeps me connected with the other side, having these, these ongoing health issues. So I actually don't mind them to tell you the truth, but I'm doing good. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Does anyone else have a question or a short story? I do. I showed oh. uh, I Hi. on Oahu and I yeah. heard you mention that you studied A Course in Miracles now, the part where they say you're not your body, did that ever apply to you? Or did you use that principle? Oh, totally, all the time. That's one of my favorite songs. If you know if you know who Netta Bowen is, she's a, a Dutch singer, and she, and she takes the Course in Miracles passages. And it's really beautiful if you haven't checked it out. Um, so, yeah, totally. That, and, and I remember that every day that we're not our bodies, you know, and we're not our thoughts. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's true. We are, our true essence is love. So, so yeah, I, 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 
I saw that, that I'm not my body. I, and I am reminded all the time because uh, the body I have seems to only work sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Anyone else have a question or comment? A little story to share. Hi, Debbie. Debbie and then Annie and say Pink Let's go ahead and unmute. I was just wondering if having out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences and some of the spiritual experiences you've had makes it easier, like like our belief in gravity. We see gravity all the time, so we know it's going to drop to the ground. And spiritually, it's like, oh, I'm never going to forget this, this experience. But but then it doesn't feel as easy. In fact, it feels, I just long for those experiences. But it is it easier for you to, to know the path? know what to do to stay with your heart you know what I'm saying is it easier for you to stay connected easier in comparison to what to someone who hasn't had out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences or seen their mother or you know like like a lot of us who haven't heard the voice or seen yeah. the face or <laughs> so first of all i should let y'all know this is debbie my sister hello who oh, was... hi, sister debbie <laughs> okay i i'm not trying not to focus on her too much or i'll cry but she was with me when my mom appeared to me she was she was the one that i was typing the email to when my mom grabbed my arm so Debbie has gotten to experience all of this stuff with me. And I can, it, it, it was a challenge because, because I, it, it, I had to have a lot of vulnerability. Debbie was also raised in the Mormon church and, and, and she had experiences that made her um, question it and leave. And, and her husband's a geneticist, world-renowned geneticist and very science-minded. So I'm talking about our dead mother talking to me and all this stuff. And then Debbie's the one that was in the ICU with me. And so she's in the ICU and I'm sitting there having these experiences with my mom and I will never forget. Uh, So I I had all these tubes in me and everything. I couldn't communicate. Um, So much was through eyes and so forth. And, uh, so Debbie's looking at me and, um, that communication, that love, it, I, you know, it, it's, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So after the tube was out and my mom's there and everything, and I'm, and I'm trying to explain these things and Debbie looked at me a little bit like, you know, is he okay? Because, of course, they did all kinds of mental tests, too, right? And, you know, because I'm, like, talking about my mom and everything. And Debbie's like, well, tell mom hi. And I'm like, well, tell her yourself. She's right behind you. <laughs> and 
So, so the question is, yes, you know, I, I have been through truly hell in my life and would I do it all again? No, I don't think so, <laughs> but I am grateful for it now because I know, I know there's something more. I've experienced that, that love that I experienced, I never experienced on this earth. And I know that most people have not experienced that. So in a way it is easier. It's not, it, it doesn't, it's easier to remember it, but my life is not easier. It's actually harder because most of this world still believes in all this illusory stuff that I once believed. So that part's not easier. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for being here and your support. All right. Stone has another comment. Hi again. Hi. <laughs> do, you, do you find that now with this new appreciation you have for being here, do you find that animals are attracted to you? Always had. Yes. I have always had a, a, a um, communication with animals. I had a pot belly pig that I slept with <laughs> that I that I, from a baby. And I don't know if you guys know, but they are very telepathic. I think it's like dolphins and then pigs as far as telepathy. <laughs> and and so, yeah, I've always had a uh, whole bunch, you know, amazing connections. And I'll just quickly share. After all of this happened, I was in one of those uh, spiritual book studies. And, and I'm having all of these experiences, but still careful about who I tell them to, because, you know, people would say like, you know, you should be careful about talking about this stuff. Well, anyway, I was in this, in this uh, book study at a unity church and this lady comes in and I see a horse around her and it was just driving me nuts because I see this horse and she was there for a few hours and it's like eating at me. And then my mom, she's like, you have to, you have these, these gifts or whatever you want to call them, use them. So, so I said to this lady, I said, this is going to sound really weird. I'd never met her before. And I said, this is going to sound really weird, but I've been seeing this horse around you the whole time you're here. And uh, are you into horse riding? Like, you know, do you have any idea? Her horse had just passed away. Oh, and so, yeah, so that was that was the first time I did real animal uh, after death communication. Wow, that's that's awesome, Sean. I want to just read a couple of the comments. Uh, Cindy says, Sean, you glow like walking love light. I love that, Cindy. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, Thank you, Cindy. That's couple, beautiful. Yeah, a couple loved ones. Um, Heather says, I know what you're talking about on so many levels. The love is truly incredible. So, there, and there's some beautiful comments, and there's one that's a little bit too long uh, to read, so I'll let you kind of check that out. Uh, but, Sean... I really appreciate your being here tonight and sharing your story. You know, we we talk a lot, 
on the phone, but we don't necessarily talk about our experiences, you know, and we, you know, we share on a, a totally different level. So to be able to hear your story gives me a really uh, brand new insight into you. So thank you so much um, for being here, for answering questions, for being vulnerable, um, to be in all these different platforms. So I know people are going to uh, enjoy listening to this again and again. But I want to ask you, um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you kind of want to leave our audience with for tonight? You know, uh, there's so many messages, but I think the first that I would like to share is, is be, be compassionate with yourself. Yeah. Those thoughts in your head that say you're not good enough, you're not young enough, you're not this, that, whatever, they're not true. I promise you they are not true. Those are all ego or whatever you want to call it. But that's really the, the one of the biggest things is just don't listen to those thoughts. They are not true. And have compassion for yourself. I also want to say to listen, deeply listen. What I've learned, I didn't set out. People are like, okay, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? I, I don't know. All I know is right, I'm just listening to the breadcrumb. I follow the breadcrumbs. What should I do? Start a sharing group. Okay. Do you know? Okay, so I do that. That do this, do that. What should I do? You know, Sheila's like, hey, come on conscious wake in a network. I, I didn't set out to do this. The life I had planned involved all these houses and all this money and stuff and that all. And so listen, just listen, ask. Yeah. And you and everybody has a team on the other side. Yeah. We all have guidance. And they really do amazing things if we just ask and then listen. So I think those are probably my biggest things that I can think of right now. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you again. And I appreciate your being here, uh, as I said, and sharing your story. And if you guys want to catch the replay, please be sure to check it out on YouTube Conscious Awakening Network and share it with your friends because I know a lot of people have had really different and unique experiences. And Sean, you kind of cover them all. <laughs> you, you pretty yeah. much, you know, you cover them all here, my friends. Now it all makes sense, honestly. It, yeah. it didn't make sense a few years ago. Like, right. why is all this happening? But now it does. Right. And, and I want to invite everyone that, that we have a near death. Mm -hmm. And Spiritual Awakening channel here on Conscious Awakening Network. Um, and uh, and that I have my sharing groups. And Cindy, I know that, you know, I, I think. I ask you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love for you to come and anyone else. Because you can come in a safe place and you can share these experiences. And trust me, that nothing is crazy. Like everything. I. I and now I, I really do understand why I've been through all this because I'm 
nobody that it, people will start off like you're gonna think i'm crazy and i'm like uh-uh like nothing because i've been through it and so i would love for you or anyone to come to our sharing groups they're the so we have a speaker event the first tuesday of every month oh i gotta get a pen yeah we have a speaker event the first tuesday of every month and uh, then we have a sharing group of the third Tuesday of every month. And then we have this channel here, uh, Near Death and uh, Spiritual Awakening channel on, on Conscious Awakening Network. And I'm going to do more events on here. And in fact, next month, we're going to be doing, um, we're going to be doing a, a special Black History Month event on Conscious Awakening Network. And we're going to have on the yeah. 17th. And we're going to have several amazing um, African-American uh, uh, experiencers sharing their stories. And so, yes, if you, we can, we can stick the link in the chat of where you can get a hold of me and you can sign up for the newsletter and, yeah. um, and, and Sean, but also those, on my channel. Go ahead. For those people who are listening to us, on uh, various podcasting networks and they don't have the visual, but the audio, could you please uh, speak these places that they can find you? Uh, yes. So you can go to hawaiianions.com. That's one okay. place that you can find me. The easiest place is if you just find me, Sean, there's, there's only one Sean Lether, S-H-A-U-N, Last name, Lether, L-E-T-H-E-R. There's only one of me on Facebook. But I'm going to put a chat, uh, a link in the chat, and it's basically bit.ly, and then it's connect with Sean Lether. And from there, you can find all the different places that I am, and you can, but also on my channel here, Unconscious Awakening Network, and under host, right? The link mm -hmm. is there. So that's probably the easiest way if you don't write this down. You can just look under host on Conscious Awakening Network, or you can go to this link, and that's going to have my my main Facebook groups and newsletter. And I would love to hear from you all. I I absolutely love connecting with experiencers. It's to me, it is the it, it, it matters more than any for me. So so feel free to reach out to me in any way you want. Definitely. Thank you so much. So again, you can find Sean at consciousawakeningnetwork.org, go to host, or you can go through our channels. And he has a spiritual awakening and near-death experience cha uh, channel there. And again, he will be having an event on the 17th. So watch our newsletter for that. And Again, thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate your being here. I want to thank all of the audience for being here with us, all your questions and beautiful comments. Thank you so much. And until we are together again, namaste and have a beautiful week, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Sheila. Night.